Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 621, for Sunday, September 4th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App. The show where you send in whatever you want. Questions, tips, cool stuff found. We try to answer your questions and share your tips and share your cool stuff found. The goal is for all of us to learn at least, it's a holiday weekend here in the U.S., so I'm going to back it down a little bit. Three new things each and every time we get together. I'd like for you personally to add one to that. I'm adding one to mine, but we're setting the bar at three because, you know, holiday weekend. So we 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 can slack off a little bit. Sponsors for this episode include Casper at Casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks off of any mattress of your choosing. Gazelle at Gazelle.com, where you can lock in your price to sell your iPhone before the new ones come out. And Smiles Text Expander at Smilesoftware.com slash Geek. You can get a 30-day free trial of Text Expander. We're going to talk all about that shortly here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Good day, my friend John F. Braun. How you doing, man? Top of the morning to you. Yeah. Everything uh everything going swell, swelly with you? Swell swollen. You're not swollen, right? Not from the cat bite or anything. Uh, a little bit, actually. Cat scratch fever? Wait, that's very different. No, that's kind different. of. No, I'm I'm tending to the wound. I think I'll be okay. Okay. But um yeah, I learned something else about cats. Not only do they uh, like scratching you if you overstimulate them, sometimes they bite you too. Mm. Yes. You could think they just walk away, but no, they, they have to enforce it with uh, violence. <laughs> well, you know, that's, uh, that's how it works. So, well, I hope you, uh, I hope you recover uh, well. So. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm on my way. I got, I got all the tools. Okay. <laughs> all right. But, uh, Let's I think it's something new, or shall we? we uh, well, I'm, I'm still playing with it. Okay. So we'll, uh, All right. Well, uh, I just want to hear about it. We'll hear say, about no, it? we'll save it for a cool stuff found show, right, or maybe later in the show. We'll see. We'll see where we go. Let's go. Let's go to some tips because there's some good ones. Oh here. yes. Yeah. Uh, listener Jim writes in and says, uh, "To see the user's library folder, you can use the option key and select the Go menu in the Finder." You folks have mentioned that several times, and I think we all know that, but it's worth reiterating. However, there is a better trick is to set it visible, which you can do with a terminal command. But even easier in El Capitan, you open the home user's directory on the hard drive and then go to view, show view options. So in the finder, open your home folder, select your home folder, view, show view options, and then you can check the box marked show library folder how about that did you know that was even there i don't think i knew that that was there in uh in in show view options maybe i know isn't that handy because i use a different solution yeah well you can i mean you can do the, the the option key in the go menu you can also once you've exposed the library folder you can drag it to your favorites which that's, is which is that's what, what I, I do yeah and i did that years ago right because when you couldn't do this but yeah now you can just have it show it to you if you open your home folder, go to the uh, the view, show view options, and there's a little checkbox, show library folder. This is killer. 
I had no idea this existed. I'm, uh, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm there's an in, extra putting it in uh, for a write up. Yep. They must have sneaked that in in an incremental update. It, it, I, think I never was, saw that before. Yeah, I think it was always been there. Came out. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. It's good stuff. Thank you, Jim. That's, uh, that's outstanding. Regarding the finder, Mr. Felix has a tip for us. He says, I was having issues with my finder. Sometimes we'll just not respond and I have to relaunch it. It's been working fine and I haven't done any OS, OS updates recently or anything. Can you suggest any ways of troubleshooting this? And he, he wrote in, uh, he said he had tried deleting the com.apple.finder.plist file. And then a few hours later wrote in and said, deleting that first file did not work. However, I deleted the com.apple.sidebar preferences file and that seems to have done the trick so very much related to the favorites list because by deleting that com.apple.sidebar or finder sidebar file um, you will lose your favorites but sometimes those can get corrupted and deleting that file kept his finder from locking up so thank you for the uh, the heads up there uh, Felix that's good stuff very very good anything to add to that Mr. Braun It concerns me that this is necessary, but well, these things happen. But I, I, I saw it's um, one of these accounts that I follow. Um, I think we've talked about it before on Twitter. Uh, Swift on security, which it, uh, it, I don't really think it's Taylor Swift talking about IT security. Sure. <laughs> but um, there was a recent thread from that account talking about. Um, I think that the term was uh, bit flipping. Okay. And how machines that don't have error correcting memory that. That's one of the reasons there was a uh, it was a talk about how under a certain version of Windows things in the registry, which is pretty much what our P list files are. Windows equivalent is the registry. Sure. How these sort of things happen on Windows, too. And it's just, you know, uh, something's read. uh, It gets kind of messed up in memory, gets written back. And then all of a sudden things don't work anymore. Yep. Yeah. It's a shake. Why can't they use ECC? I don't know. Well, but that's not the only way this stuff gets corrupted. Oh, I know. It's, I think it's one of them, though. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, these are just individual files and anything can happen when you're, you know, if you're writing the file and it and it gets interrupted. If, for example, the finder locks up for some reason and it doesn't finish yeah. writing the file, it corrupts itself. And there you or go. the disk itself, you know, bits just kind of flip. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Maybe. Sometimes. I don't know, I don't know if I Cosmic ray. No, I've read, seriously, I've read about um, cosmic rays. You're, you're going to think I'm, you know, putting on the tinfoil hat here, but... Um, I love the tinfoil no, certain, hat, John. But no, certain forms of radiation can, uh, can impact either memory or hard drives or SSDs or pretty much any device. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll find an article on it. No, yeah, no, you, you think I, I I'm kidding? You. No, I, 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 I'm, as we're talking here, I'm looking and then there's others with the same tinfoil hat. You know, I, um, <laughs> I, 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 I emotionally support all conspiracy theories. I, I can only intellectually support some of them, as you might understand. But emotionally, I cheer them all on because I love conspiracies. But I don't. Is this conspiracy? Or is this just a, well, a, a crazy I, I would theory? say probably not, because every, every once in a while, I don't know if you get these letters, but I get these from uh, my cable company, which uh, for some of what they do, they use uh, satellites. And when there's heavy sun, sunspot activity, 
They'll say, um, yeah, you know, um, you may get some weird stuff happening on your cable channels because the sun's acting up and it, you know, does weird things to the atmosphere and the satellites, uh, it, it corrupts the satellite signal. So sorry about that. I've never gotten an email like that from my cable company. I'm just going to point that out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I certainly have. Huh? So, well, that's just, they could just be controlling your brain. Well, they could be shifting blame to the the universe. My grandfather, um, you know, he was, uh, well, he was a crazy inventor, right? So I, I don't, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show in eleven and a half years. I must have at some point. But you know those, uh, those, those binocular viewing machines, the oval shaped ones that uh, you see at every tourist trap, you know, all over the country, and in fact, all over the world. My grandfather invented those uh, years ago, and he and his his uh, cousin started a business, and his cousin's family still runs the uh, business down in Norwalk, Connecticut, Tower Optical. So that was my grandfather. Uh, and he was, he and I were very, very close when I was growing up, but he was convinced that the cable companies, um, when we moved into a house, we moved in together into the house that I, that I lived in, in Rowayton when you and I met and, uh, he had a, like a little apartment out back and, um, he didn't want cable TV because he was convinced that that was the government's way of controlling our, our minds. So, um, so maybe, maybe some of that spilled over to cable vision down there because that was the provider we had. So, you know, there you go. And I just noticed something really cool, Dave, in our chat room. Now, you may, you may be asking, where is our chat room? And I'm going to tell you, it's at macgeekgab.com slash stream. And one of our listeners posted a link to this, which I think we should all watch. Maybe I'll even put it in the show notes. Um, it's a YouTube video called The, S- the Physics of Silent SSD Errors. Ah, uh, all right. Well, I don't know. Oh, and someone said they, they even talk about cosmic rays. I am not crazy, Dave. See, see, some of what I believe is based in <laughs> yeah. fact. Yeah. You know, Alex <laughs> said it right. MacGeekUp.com slash stream is the best darn chat room in the Mac universe. Um, it's good stuff. And, uh, and, and But we try and share it with all of you who can't make it to the chat room, too. So, obviously, because let's be honest, there's far more of you than there are of them in the chat room. But, but everybody has their value. It's good. All right, let's, um, speaking of value, let's move on to Chris, who has uh, something interesting to share with us. I generally agree with the frequent Mac Geek Gab observation that Apple's routers have fallen behind the technology curve. You can certainly get more bang for the buck investing in a non-Apple option. But there's one feature of Apple routers that may interest Mac tech geeks. Modern airport base stations run a bonjour sleep proxy. When a Mac goes to sleep, the proxy running on the base station advertises the Mac's shared services over the network. If one of those services is accessed, the Mac will be awakened. This is different from wake on LAN, which requires you to use a tool that will issue a magic packet to wake the device. That winds up being a manual and somewhat technical process. With Bonjour Sleep Proxy, the process is seamless. Someone accesses the shared service, the device wakes up. Shared services that the proxy keeps alive include things like printer sharing, iTunes library sharing, iPhoto sharing, file sharing, and back to my Mac, even over the internet. In order for this to work, you must have an airport base station with 802.11n or later, or the corresponding time capsule models. There's no configuration necessary on the router. The Macs must have wake for network access enabled in system preferences under Energy Saver. When the Mac goes to sleep, it registers with a sleep proxy, which continues to advertise their services. Apple has a tech note on how this works. 
In my mind, this is not necessarily a reason to stick with Apple routers. I thought it might be worth mentioning, though, because some of your listeners might be benefiting from this capability without even realizing it. Replacing an Apple base station with a third-party router might then lead to some lost functionality on their networks. By the way, if you want this capability and want a non-Apple router, you're in luck. You can get the same functionality from an Apple TV, second generation, or later. Thanks a lot, and keep up the good work. Chris, thank you so much. You uh, said that very succinctly and uh, perfectly. So I have nothing to add to that, but you're totally right. It's it's great. How about you, John? Anything? I'm trying. Let me see if this is going to work here. Okay. There's a program. Now, I'm trying to run it on one of my machines here, but I think I have an older version. So let me just try one thing here. But it, but it's a program that will show you what things are, are uh capable of handling a, a bonjour sleep proxy oh okay um, well it's called flame but when i try to run it it crashes huh. and i All downloaded right. it again let me just uh but it's unsigned so let me run it oh look at that there we go flame very huh. nice okay so, so flame, I have an older flame version. will tell you if you've got stuff uh on your mac well no it'll will, show stuff you on your network rather it's kind of a bonjour uh, browser, if you will. But okay. It'll show what services your various devices are advertising. Now, the thing is, I currently don't. No, I have a. Uh, what am I talking about? Of course, I have an airport downstairs. Let's see. It's. Uh, yep. Okay. So, for example, I have an airport express downstairs. Like right now, I'm I'm not using it for internet. I'm just using it for airplay. Yeah. When I click on it, um. It says, oh, yeah, here are the services I have. And one of them is uh, underscore sleep dash proxy dot UDP. So, so, uh, and do you run flame? Are you running this on your you're running it on your Mac, right? Because there is an iOS version as well. Yeah, that that one I got long ago and, and it, it, that they haven't updated. That, the, that always the Mac crashes. one, you mean? No, the iOS one. Oh, the, really? the Mac one I'm running right now. And that, and that seems to work fine. OK, so um. Yeah, I just did it quickly. Again, that's something I'll link to. But um, cool. You should be able to find. But but yeah, it's a it's a it's a good way to uh, see what services your uh, the various devices on the network yeah. are uh, are capable of. Yeah, it shows. Like here for for that airport, it says AirTune speaker, airport base station, sleep proxy, and then ACP sync, whatever the heck that is. No idea. Huh. And what ports they live on. Fun. Cool. Cool. All right, and then uh, moving on to, but you know what? We're going to move on. We had some some discussion about audiobooks recently, and so uh, we had a couple of tips about uh, audiobook creation. So let's uh, let's see where these go. Howdy, Geek Gambers. This is ADD Todd trying to think and talk all at the same time. Uh, conversion AAC to something the newest iTunes will recognize and allow you to do the bookmarking, et cetera, on. Uh, I have had exceptional help, eh, exceptional good luck, with uh, Macro Plant Adapter. Free software, Mac and PC. I just installed it on my PC tablet, and it downloaded uh, VLC and, oh, dra- I forgot the name of the free uh it's the usual converter that all the software uses. This Probably brain. Handbrake, yeah. At any rate, it's an idea. He might be able to convert his old recordings 
directly to the new version of AAC or uh, audiobook, whatever he needs. I've been using it mostly on Mac. I haven't really played with it much on PC yet. It can also go into your Neat Things Found. Uh, one final thing. Um, actually, sorry, no, two final things. Update the web page on the contact us page. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, sort of- we actually fixed that. So that's all set. Thank you so much, Todd. Um, and you're right. Yeah. And, and it may have been FFmpeg that uh, that Macroplant adapter installs, too. So uh, very good stuff. Uh, so we will put links to both of those things in there. Thank you, Todd. And then uh, David has comments about audiobook building. He says, I have uh, I use audiobook builder from Splasm software, S-P-L-A-S-M. This app allows me to convert all my audiobooks on cassette to digital. Files are added to the app through the app itself. You can join the files together and make them one contiguous file or leave them separate. The resultant build is then sent to iTunes as an audiobook in the right format. It plays like any other audiobook, including playing where you left off. Again, this uses the technology for playing the cassettes as input. Very cool. Very cool. Um... And then we will go to, um, we will move on to the next one, which I will find in my list here somewhere, but I might as well drop this in the show notes. Okay. And then, uh, listener Scott has an audiobook sinking madness tip. Scott says, I was listening to MGG 619 about audiobooks and I have a lot to add. First off, to answer the listener's questions, iTunes match will not Match anything included at less than 96K and not longer than 120 minutes, nor anything in the books folder. I long ago ruled that out. And this isn't just iTunes match. It is also iCloud Music Library, which is part of your Apple Music. So if you've got songs that are less than less than 96K, sorry, um, or longer than 120 minutes, those will not be synced up to your iCloud Music Library. Uh, I have tried a lot of ways in vain. Scott continues. To share from my Synology to an iOS device, it just barely works. I can give you the path. Uh, actually, I'm uh, I'm going to skip all of that. He says, uh, because it's not really relevant to the audiobooks discussion. He says, as the listener mentioned, Bookmobile offers a lot of ways to get content onto an iOS, iOS device, both local and internet connected. What it does not do is sync between devices. Not a deal breaker for me, but I put in a feature request. Calibre, very good. Uh also includes a web server based content server. It works on your local network or if you open a port via the internet or via VPN, as we've mentioned, opening ports is uh, more dangerous than it should be. Uh, While it is not designed for audiobooks, it can import them into its library with caveats. One being that there can be only one file of any type associated with a book. And the problem with is with multi-part books. Uh, The solution is to zip this into multiple files as one of the file formats Calibri supports is zip. And that's where the magic comes in. In the Calibri content server, in the detail view of a book, there's a link for the zip file. Tap on it and wait for it to download. And you get an option to open in. And the list of options is to copy to Bookmobile, which happily unzips and adds all the parts to its library. So Calibre, Bookmobile seem to be the magic, um, the magic parts of Scott's solution. And thank you very much, Scott, for sharing that. That's pretty good stuff. I, um, 
it's a little bit crazy, but we like a little bit crazy here. So thank you. Any thoughts on that, John, before we move on? No, Mr. Braun. No. Have you, uh, no. do you, do you do the audiobook thing or are you, are you not no. an audiobook kind of guy? No, I'm a, I'm mostly, you know, the, the dead tree yeah. type of guy. Oh, so you're not even electronic books. You don't use, uh, like Kindle or, or, uh, um, or anything. You know, I dabbled with them, but they're, and like even my library, I can electronically borrow yeah. books if I want to. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, of course. I think my last experience is just reading off of a tablet or computer is just not as nice to me as, as reading from a book sometimes. I, you know, I don't and disagree not with so you. Much, and not so much that, but the other thing that just frustrates me about them is the DRM. Um, last I checked, most paper books don't have any sort of DRM that uh, all I found is that it gets in the way and it's annoying. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I am with you on the annoying thing. I'm actually not at all with you on the gets in the way thing. DRM has, I mean, with audiobooks or not with audiobooks, but with, with, uh, electronic books has not been an issue for me and just kind of buy the book where you want it and, and read. Yeah. The, the last time I dabbled with it, there, it, it, it got in the way and it just, how, I'm curious how it got in the way. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a use case where it does. I just, I couldn't, I can't I don't know if I didn't it. log in or oh, wasn't oh, correct or my right. account wasn't synced properly. And it just, it was like, you know, I can't get the thing that you just borrowed. Got and it. Like, forget it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Library. Hey, I go there. Now I'm actually kind of high tech at my library. So my library, you know, so everybody has a number um, and they give you a little uh, key fob uh, or, or a little um, physical thing with the barcode on it. Well, I'm just like super cool here. So what I do is there's an app on my uh, phone called Cardstar, and it's a repository for things like loyalty cards and all that. But it can also scan in barcodes. So what? So every time I go to the library, they, they've gotten used to it now. But I'll give them my phone with the barcode, and they'll scan it with their barcode scanner. And like they'll even ask, they're like, "Are you John?" I'm like, "Yeah," because they're they're. I, I think they're almost think I'm trying to pull one over on them. <laughs> He's like, why are you giving me your phone to scan the barcode? That's okay. So this is, I mean, it's a totally different topic, but I, I, I'm with you here. I want to talk about this because we mentioned card star. I think I brought it into a cool stuff found years ago, uh, but never really used it. Um, but so if I, if I understand this correctly, it's essentially a way to simulate the Apple wallet experience for cards that are not given to you electronically, right? You scan them in and then it, 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 it becomes your repository for them. Yeah. So when I go, um, you know, and I'll use it for other stores I go to. So like my beat and, and it also does some limited though. Last I checked, not a very good job of telling you about specials and sales and sure, stuff like that. Like, sure. like I use it also when I go to BJ's. So I go to BJ's, they have a, you know, self-serve terminal. I pick up the barcode scanner. I bring up my BJ's barcode, it scans it in, and then I scan in my items, and everything's great. So it's a it's a nice program for storing. Though I use Wallet, um, of course, yeah, of course. And then, and then we'll get back. So, for example, for for stores that offer it. So, for example, my two local grocery stores, uh, Stop and Shop and Shoprite, they offer uh, a way to connect your um, account to Wallet. Sure. So for that, I use Wallet. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. For people that don't offer an app, like for example, BJ's. Last I checked, they don't even offer an app. But right, so right. That's the best right. I can do with them. That's pretty good, man. Pretty cool. All right. Cool. 
That's it's um, nice to be. It, it, it's nice sometimes to be able to take my phone with me, and that in theory, for a lot of transactions that I perform, I don't even need to have my wallet with me. Right. Right. And that I scan my ID, and then if I'm if, if it's something I'm paying for, I use Apple Pay, and you know uh, most of the stores around here handle NFC payments, and it's like, wow, I didn't even need my wallet. So there's another one uh, that John in the chat room is mentioning called Key Ring. Uh, which seems to do the same thing as card. Oh, sorry. What was it called? Card star. Right. And uh, so I'll put both of those in there. I, have you used key ring or, or no, 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 okay. check it out. Yeah. See right. It, uh, yeah. It's worth. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. That was a good discussion. I like that. See, this is, this is why we, do when I think do. about it, the only reason that I'd really need to carry my wallet with me is to store my driver's license. And as far as I know, um, mm. Connecticut, and I don't, I don't know if any state offers, to let you present your driver's license on a electronic device. You know, I'm sure they don't probably not. I'm sure they don't, but here's the thing. Now that you're saying this, I'm going to take a picture of my driver's license, both sides and store it in my phone's pictures, because here's, here's the deal, right? If I get pulled over and I don't have my license with me, it's not going to hurt. If I say, Whoa, apologies, officer, I screwed up. I left my license at home. I have my phone with me, which if you use a wallet case on your phone, this problem goes away. And, and that's one of the reasons I really like a wallet case on my phone. Um, but uh, or a card carrying case, I should say, because uh, now I've just got one that that um, that just has slots for a couple of cards on the back for my uh, iPhone SE and my wallet and my license is one of them. But, it, you know, if you if, if you show an off, you say, hey, look, I do have a picture of my license on my phone. If that'll help you at all, um, you know, at least having the ability to offer that and say, yeah, I, I can show you my license. It's got the ID number and all of that stuff on it that may or may not. And and as with any sort of uh, interaction you have with someone who's pulled you over, um, being friendly and courteous is is probably mm-hmm. the thing that's going to serve you the best. Jeff Gamut, by the way, uh, who, uh, you know, is our managing editor over there at TMO. He used to be for 10 years was a cop in Denver. Oh, yeah. And he told me once, he said, uh, anytime I pulled someone over for like speeding or a, a, a traffic violation, he said it was their job to talk me into giving them a ticket. Uh, he said so. And he said the quickest path to that was lying to me. He says, if I asked you a question, I already knew the answer. So if you want to lie to me, Awesome. I will like, give you a ticket. Like, how fast were you going? I already know. He I'd says. probably say too fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cute answers. He said tended not to uh, no. not to bode well. It was better to just or be I honest. I, I honestly don't. Yeah. You could say, I don't know. If you don't know, then that's, but you probably do know, you know. I could say uh, about around 70. Yeah. Something. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yep. So anyway. Uh, there's your detour for the day. Good stuff. Card star and, uh, and key ring. So sweet. All right. Moving on to, uh, and I'm hoping I didn't just advise everybody to do something that's like terribly illegal, like taking a picture of your driver's license, but I don't think it is. Um, you know, your mileage may vary. No, you actually, you make a good point that backing at up. At least you uh, have it. Yeah. Well, speaking of actually, backups. I already have it. I have mine securely stored, um, in, um, in uh in well maybe it's not securely stored in fact i know it's not it's in evernote and they don't securely store pictures yojimbo used to but yojimbo didn't sync with my ios device so yeah 
Yep. But I don't think drivers, because most driver's licenses have physical security features to make yes. sure it's not a forgery. So Sure. And I actually, uh, and then we'll move on here. I actually have my operator number memorized. So if they needed to, I could be, okay, well, my oper- operator number is yeah, whatever it is. It's nine digits in Connecticut. Yeah. I already, I, I still have my Connecticut operator number memorized. And when we moved yeah. back to Connecticut from Texas, they gave me the same one back. And I would think that if, if you know that and you know the address and you maybe have some other document flying around in the car that confirms it. Yeah, um, you might, it might help. They, yeah, exactly. They may still get you for not having a license. But right, right, right. It couldn't hurt. It couldn't right. hurt. Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple more tips here, at least one. So uh, from show 619 again, uh, Chris writes in, he said, when I used to administer a remote server, I found I was able to do everything I needed by tunneling in via SSH with an SSH key pair set as the only permissible login method. So not username and password, but key pair. Nobody could log in with a guest password. And and he says, I'm going to spell guest G U S G U E S S E D, not G U E S T. He says, OS 10 server now has a variant similar to the, um, fail to ban that blocks IP addresses that try to and fail to get in multiple times, which is good. Uh, your Synology also has that for uh, which I noticed after I changed my password and every IP address I was on started to get blocked because DS photos was trying to log in and I needed to change the password there. But uh, yeah. And, and I guess this is similar. So what he's talking about is uh, in, in terms of someone hacking in by knowing your password, if your password is not the only thing uh, or is not even any one of the things necessary for getting in, then someone cannot hack in with your password and, uh, and using an SSH key pair or using something like you do, John with open VPN, where there is a uh, key that you need to have on your remote device before the server will let you in can really add to that security because then people just can't hack in. They, they would need to get that key from you somehow. So it is, it okay. is good security. Yeah. I don't SSH. Yeah. From what I recall, the first time you try to SSH into something, if it's set up a certain way, it'll say, uh, yeah, this isn't secure. You, you want to do this thing? Well, so there, that's not what we're talking about though, because um, okay. it, it, with, when you SSH, yes, you need the the remote key downloaded to you so that you can secure the connection and you have to accept that key in. Uh, but then you log in with your password, but you don't have to. You can actually use SSH. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it is. You're using generating a key pair locally on your machine as the client and then storing the public version of that key on the server that you're connecting to so that you don't log in with username and password. You log in with key pair authentication and then, and and you can set it to not allow password authentication. And then you have to have the key pair set. And if that's not there, then you're just not going to get in. So, yeah, it and and I'll tell you, if you wind up SSHing into machines, you know, on your local network or whatever, it's well worth your time to to set up this key pair because then you can just connect to it and boom, you're connected. You don't have to type in a password or worry about any of that stuff. So it's pretty handy. I'll um I'll find an article. It's a little too involved to get into here in, in this show um, just because it's terminal stuff. And we'll save that for a, a terminal show, perhaps. But I'll I'll find a link to how to create and, and store a key pair in the dot SSH slash authorized keys file and all that stuff. Cause it's, uh, it's super handy. 
Super handy. Super. Super. Uh, and one last one from Lee, I think, before we get on to questions here, because this is, uh, if I can find it. Yeah, there it is, Lee. Um, well, that's a good one. Hi, Dave and John. I wanted to share a tip with you and your listeners and ask a question. So here's my story. For about five years, I've been running a mid-2011 Mac Mini server with a quad-core i7 as my personal machine. Over the years, I've upgraded the components to include a 16 gigs of OWC RAM, 240 gig OWC SSD as my primary drive for the OS and apps, and a one terabyte Western Digital Blue SSHD for my data. It had been running fine in this current configuration for over six months. Then about two weeks ago, my Mac started hanging during the shutdown process. And about half the time when it was stuck, it would still allow me to access the terminal so I could force the shutdown using the shutdown command in the terminal. But the remainder of the time, I had to force the shutdown by holding the power button. Around that same time, Drive Genius, a drive monitoring utility that I was using, started popping up warnings that the WD drive had bad sectors and needed to be replaced. I opened up Apple's disk utility and ran first aid on the drive and it reported no problems. So I then opened Drive Genius and ran an extended drive check, which included a check of all the sectors. And after four hours scanning, it reported no problems. So I cleared the warnings, rebooted in safe mode, then rebooted normally, and everything seemed okay for a couple of days. Then I started getting the same drive warnings and the same shutdown problems. So I reset the non-volatile RAM. No luck. I used another drive utility, TechTool Pro, and ran an extended drive check on the WD drive, and it also reported everything was fine. I ran Disk Warrior and rebuilt the drive directory index. Still no luck. I happen to have an extra crucial M550 250 gig SSD, so I decided I would swap it out for the questionable WD drive, and thankfully I had multiple redundant versioned backups. Now, I've swapped out hard drives on Mac Minis many times before, having learned how from watching the training videos on the OWC website, but this time I forgot to disconnect the IR sensor cable before I pulled out the logic board. This didn't just disconnect the IR cable, but it actually yanked the connector off the logic board. And this is not something that can be repaired by a mere mortal, and the replacement logic board was going to cost me close to $400. Thankfully, I had an extra mid-2012 Mac Mini with a dual-core i5, and I decided just to transplant my drives and RAM to that machine and use it for my personal Mac. I booted the rebuilt Mac, and everything seemed okay until I tried to shut down. And then everything that was happening before happened again. So I was thinking maybe the bad disk had corrupted my system files, so I restored from a backup that predated the problem. No luck. So I bit the bullet and did a complete nuke and pave and then ran Migration Assistant to pull over my applications and files. Still no luck. Thinking the problem perhaps could be the RAM, I rebooted in Apple's hardware diagnostic mode and a quick system check said no problems. I then reran the Apple diagnostic utility in extended mode, which took over three hours and it reported everything was fine, including the RAM. Then I recalled hearing on your show and on Allison Sheridan's NoSillaCast about how an external USB hub can cause freakish problems like this. So I unplugged the powered external USB 3.0 hub that I had been using connected to a USB 3.0 port on my Thunderbolt dock, and I'd been using it without a problem for over two years, lo and behold, everything was fine. So, 
because I was thinking that every problem had to be inside the box, inside the Mac Mini, I got caught. So the tip is always think outside the box. Thank you very much, Lee. That was a uh, story worth telling because you're totally right. Yeah, you've got to isolate everything. And uh, too often, it's easy to forget about the um, the external hardware side of things. So thank you for uh, for for reminding us of that. <laughs> These tales of woe are uh, are helpful. So very cool. Very cool. Any thoughts on that, John, before we uh, actually before we go on to our sponsors for for today's episode? No, that was a that was a good one. I'm 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 sad that what happened was <clears throat> something that I had to be careful of with uh with my Mac Mini uh 2012. I think he said that's the one he had with the uh, IR sensor, right? Mm. Yeah, he did ask actually I, I didn't finish the question, but he asked if he needed to uh to reconnect the IR sensor uh and and my my advice to him was, well, no. If you if you don't need it, he says he doesn't use anything that that uses IR, and so I said uh, I would I wouldn't dig back in just to mess with that un- unless it, yeah. it becomes an issue. But if you're back in there ever again, then yeah, go ahead and reconnect it. Yeah, the thing is, the 2014, which is the one I have now, does not have that issue. And actually, Dave, my my 2012 is uh, uh, I actually shipped it off. You could probably guess which one, but I actually shipped it off to one of our sponsors. Oh. What really? You're yeah. To who did you who'd you send it off to? Well, who who do you think? <laughs> did you send it to Gazelle? Yes, I did. Oh, sweet! Oh, very easy cool. Peasy, <laughs> dude. It was so easy, uh, and you know, I'll let you do the spot there. But yeah. no, packed it up. Uh, you know, reformatted it. Did a secure erase on the drive. Uh, reinstalled the original OS. Put it in a box. You know, I kept the box. Always keep the box, guys. Uh, sent it off to them. They checked it out. They're like, yep, cool. They popped the money in my PayPal account and that was it. It was like, wow. Sweet. Couldn't be, it, it's the first time I've actually used, uh, used Gazelle for a computer huh. and uh, couldn't be happier. Thanks guys. Cool. All right. Well, uh, I will, uh, I will talk about uh, all three of our sponsors today, including Gazelle. If, uh, if you're ready for that. I am ready. All right. Our first sponsor today is Smile. At smilesoftware.com slash geek, where this month you learn about Text Expander. Text Expander is going to help you communicate smarter by having little snippets that you type that expand into much, much bigger snippets that you have saved inside a Text Expander. For example, I use it for my address. And for John's address, actually, when somebody wants to send review stuff, and I think, John, uh, I did this when I had Synology send you your latest expansion unit, I needed to send them your address. So instead of looking up your address and fat fingering the numbers and getting things confused and having it show up at the wrong house, I typed comma J-B-A-D-D, boom, out comes John Braun's address right there in my email, formatted the way I want, and I know it's right. I don't have to look at it. Because I've already done that once. You can eliminate all the drudgery of typing the same thing over again. I end my emails by saying Dave. I don't need to say Dave. I type dash D. Boom, Dave comes out. Text Expander helps you save the most precious of commodities. And that is your time. 
And now you can have shared groups so that you know everybody in the company or in your group, maybe it's just a family, has all the same snippets. Lifehacker subscriptions cost 40 bucks a year and include all the apps and all the tech standard expander sharing services. Um, there's upgrade discounts available for previously registered text expander users. There's team subscriptions. You can find stats for your organization. Very, very cool. And you get to try text expander free for 30 days. Visit smilesoftware.com slash geek to start your 30-day free trial right now. That includes Text Expander for the Mac, the iPad, the iPhone, and Windows, which is in beta. Again, smilesoftware.com slash geek. Our thanks to Smile for sponsoring this episode. Next up, Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where you can save 50 bucks off of a mattress of your choice, any of their mattresses, with coupon code MGG. Casper calls themselves now a sleep brand, and they created one perfect mattress that they sell to you. It comes in different sizes, but they've figured out the one perfect mattress. You pick your size and you're done. In-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foam for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you sleep cooler and helps you regulate your temperature throughout the night. Obsessively engineered mattress, and I can attest to this, man, I love my Casper mattress at home. Um, and I had one of the best travel sleeps of my night when I, or of my life rather, when I was at WWDC back in June on the last day I checked, I'm like, this is crazy. I looked sure enough, Casper mattress, free shipping to us and Canada. Use coupon code MGG. You get free shipping and $50 off with that coupon code MGG. You also get a hundred night risk free trial in your own home. This is shipped straight to you. It's shipped in a box that you can get through any doorway. Then you expand the mattress in your bedroom. If after, or if within, I should say the first hundred nights you decide, you know what? This really isn't for me. Give it some time. hundred nights is a long enough time. If you decide it's not for you, they'll take it back. No cost to you, no shipping, no nothing, but I doubt that's going to happen. And so do they which is why they offer you that. Again, visit casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. You get that mattress shipped for free to you. Pick your size and go. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. And finally, for today, our third sponsor is Gazelle at gazelle.com. There's new iPhones coming this week. I can smell it. I think we can all smell it. Well... Now's the time to lock in a price for your old iPhone so that when the new one comes out, you can order it knowing what you're going to get for your old one. You can go lock in today. Your price is good for 30 days. So go to gazelle.com, tell them what you have, lock in your price, and then you get to still keep your phone. They'll ship you the box and all that. Just hang on to the box. You got 30 days to send it back to them. Hang on to the box. And then uh, when pre-orders start, you go ahead order your new phone. When your new phone comes, you transfer your data over and you ship your old phone back to Gazelle and get the money 
Then they make it super, super easy. You just start by going to gazelle.com and take it from there. They make it super easy. On the way to checkout, they're going to ask where you heard about Gazelle. Tell them Mac Geekab sent you. We're right in the drop down list there. We'd appreciate it. And so would they. Our thanks to Gazelle for sponsoring this episode. I think it's time for some questions, John. Nice. You know, in my case, Steve, I didn't even have to yeah. wait for a box because I use my own box. So all they did was sent me a, a, a prepaid uh, USPS label, walked to right. my post office, yep. gave it to them, and uh, yeah, so, so there was almost instant gratification. That's awesome. Yeah, I, it, they do make it super easy. I, I'm totally with you on this. It's, um, yeah, it, yeah, I love them. I love them. Yeah. In fact, I've got to lock in prices for, I got to figure out what iPhones I'm keeping and what I'm you know, going to trade out and all that stuff. And so I got to, I got to, I got to get to, I got to get to doing that because you yeah. know, the prices are going to drop. Well, there's that, Wednesday. uh, when's the special event? Wednesday. Seventh. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming up. So what time? I, I haven't seen it on their event list yet. I know it's oh, yeah, occurring. No, it's it's 1 PM Eastern, 10 AM Pacific. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the normal time. They're doing it at the Bill Graham and no, I'm not going. I, I've had too much travel lately. So, I'm going to regret not going, but, uh, but no, I'm not going. It's been, it's been too in. much. Are they, okay, maybe, maybe it'll take a day or two, but uh, are they, are they going to, can I watch it on my Apple TV, you think? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm almost certain it's going to be streamed. Oh, yeah. it's going to come up in the event channel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, on to, uh, on to Todd. Todd actually posted this on Facebook, believe it or else. Uh, he has a 2011 inch 21, 20, sorry, it's not a 2011 inch iMac. It's a 21 inch 2011 iMac uh, with a one terabyte rotational and 256 gig SSD uh, fused together. Uh, that would have been, I believe that would have been done manually by him because the 2011 inch iMacs didn't come with that, but uh, maybe they did. He's running uh, El Capitan. He says, while I was out of town, my wife texts me and he has five user accounts on this one admin, three standard, one parentally controlled. While I was out of town, he says, my wife texts me to say that all the passwords have changed on the computer. And then a few hours later that my account has disappeared from the computer. Since I was in rural Iowa with no real internet, there was no way for me to SSH in or use screens to go see what was going on. As an aside, screens from Adovia uh, is a fantastic remote control piece of software, both for iOS and Mac. So um, I'll plug them because I, it's, it's what I use. It's outstanding. Uh, he says, uh, when I get home, all that will show up on the login screen is the admin account, mine, and one of the standard accounts, daughter number one. After drilling into the hard drive, I see that all the other folders and files are still present for the other accounts, but they don't show up in the login or in switch accounts. So from the OS point of view, they no longer exist. I've, of course, restarted the computer a few times. I've gone into disk utility and done first aid. Nothing seems to help what to do. And there's actually a fairly long Facebook thread where many of you tried to uh, tried to help out Todd. And, uh, and Alex had a simple fix. He said, if the accounts that show up in the login window are still, uh, that should show up in the login window are still in slash users, you need to perform the following steps for each account. And he goes through adding a new account, but manually 
selecting the home directory. And it worked. So very, very cool solution and a great example of how our Facebook group can be, um, can be super helpful for, uh, for, for all of that stuff. Any, any thoughts on this, John, while we, uh, while we move on? No, it's scary. It is scary. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. But you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up all of, um, all of Alex's steps right here, but this is it. He said, uh, open system preferences, click users and groups and users and groups preferences. Click the plus above the padlock, unlock the padlock padlock. And then, uh, uh, after clicking plus enter the fields, full name, account name, and password exactly the same as the accounts that are in slash users. You have to follow four steps for each account. And, uh, the password you add for each account should be the same one that was in use before or keychain access will be asking you for the previous password so yeah but it works and it worked for him so very very cool yeah and screens yes uh people in the chat room are asking and, and i'm glad you are because i need to remember to spell out urls for those folks that are listening uh it's edovia e-d-o-v-i-a.com for screens from uh luke vondal great app i couldn't possibly uh, it's it's like when I want to control my Mac locally at home and all that stuff, I can do it from my iPhone or my iPad and it works uh, outstanding. So nice little, nice little aside on, on this one. Any, uh, any more thoughts on this, John? Moving on, moving on. All right. Well, that was Todd. Mike, I'm, I'm actually curious as to your thoughts on this one, John. I'll, uh, I'll read what Mike says. He says, I'm coming to you because I've come to a dead end. The printer driver for my Canon LBP 6000 laser keeps wanting to have access to the incoming network. I don't understand why, because it's not a network printer. I've selected deny in firewall, but it doesn't remember my selection. So it asks again on every reboot. I've tried the usual uninstall, reinstall the driver. I've turned the firewall on and off, adding the printer to the firewall list manually with deny access and even a fresh install of the OS. Killing the printer P list didn't help either. I know for sure it's the driver causing this because it's when, when it's removed, no pop up. And in, in the name of the app that's looking for incoming network connections is CCPD. So. Um, my thoughts on this are that this driver is probably for more than just that one printer. And since Canon has networked, uh, laser printers, it's probably looking for pings back from the printer that might say, Hey, I am out of toner or low on toner or paper or those types of things. And, uh, and that it's not all that harmful. And I'd also like to point out that if you are running any kind of router in your house, like an airport extreme or a Netgear, or whatever it is um, in today's world, and this may change as IPv6 becomes, you know, sort of more the norm, but in today's world that basically protects you um, unless you're intentionally poking holes in your router, as we talked about um, in that, in the previous episode or two previous episodes when that poor guy um, went through and, uh, had someone hack his Mac account password. But as long as you're not doing that, having, having access when it says it wants to accept incoming network connections, chances are it's only going to be machines on your local network that could talk to your Mac anyway, at least um, uninvited. So, so I don't think it's a terrible thing. I think you allow it and move on, but, uh, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on this, John. 
My question in this case would be where you got the driver from. Canon. He he, he sent us a link uh, where he downloaded it from canon.com. Yeah. Okay. That may not be where you want to get the driver. <clears throat> you may be saying, John, what are you, nuts? The thing is, getting a driver for a printer, you can typically do it one of two ways. So one, you can go to the vendor and typically, I do not do this because okay. from what I found, especially with HP and especially setting things up on my parents' network, is they include all sorts of other garbage in the installer for the printer. Some some of the programs are marginally useful sometimes, but yeah. I find that they just add so much garbage. Huh. I would, uh, the thing I would try, okay, so he pointed to Canon. The thing I would try is get rid of, you know, if, if they offer an uninstaller, do that. I would instead try to go to, so if you go to system preferences, printers and scanners, uh, you're going to see a list of printers. So you should, um, you're going to see a little plus sign there. Um, it'll then scan and look for your printer. At that point, um, if a driver is not present, it's going to install one that it typically gets from Apple. I tried to give that a shot and see if maybe that driver... Number one, it could be a bare bones driver and not have all the garbage. But I'm wondering if, because you got it from Canon, it's including some, like he says, that this doesn't seem to be necessary for his printer. And I think that may be the case. So maybe, maybe try installing it from the OS rather than running Canon's installer. And that may solve your problem. Yeah, it has for me. Uh, but my, I mean, my, my laser printer, because it's ancient, I still have a, I think the company's still in business, but the, it's a GCC um, oh, yeah. 1200 DPI laser printer. Yeah. Dude, that printer must be like 20 oh, years old, but it still older, works. It's older than my kids. I'm, I'm certain of it. Yeah. It's a 1200, but it's a 1200 DPI. It's, yeah. a, it's only a hundred, a uh, hundred base T uh, network yeah. connection. Who cares? Yeah. And it's running older versions of PostScript and uh, PCL, but it, it serves my needs for documents. Yep. But my HP... Um, inkjet, I, I download the driver from Apple uh, just because I don't want all the extra garbage that they throw in there. So that is my thought and my suggestion. Is yeah. Try to take that path. Yeah. The um, where that becomes an issue, where that can become an issue is if like with inkjet printers, it, the utility that you get from the manufacturer can sometimes be more full featured in terms of its ability to clean the nozzles and all of that stuff. Some of the stuff that Apple, you know, has, I mean, look, it's the manufacturers providing stuff to Apple and then Apple providing it to you, right? It's not like Apple's writing these drivers. Let's, let's, you know, let's make sure that there's no confusion on that part. But, um, but sometimes they are simplified to be included with the OS 10 build. So, um, so it's worth trying. I think, uh, honestly, I think your path is worth trying first. And if you get everything you need out of it, uh, then stick with Apple's driver. But if you're not, then, um, you know, for me, because I'm a geek, I do, I do both. I download, I try it with apples and then I try it with the manufacturers and I see what I'm missing and I decide which way I'm going to go with that particular printer. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's certainly for, for Mike here, that, that's a, that's a fine, um, you know, that's a, a fine solution is to just go with apples and, and forget about it. Yep. So, and the, uh, the HP that I have, yep. um, actually what Apple offers includes their, um, utility, which does all of the, you know, yeah. level checking and the, uh, <laughs> 
It gets me though because I, I use uh, remanufactured cartridges. Yeah. And it keeps wagging its finger at me saying, oh, you're not using official HP brand new cartridges. Your printer could be broken. And I'm like, stop, stop. Or it says it's almost like accusing me of being a bad person because it'll list them as, I think, used, altered or counterfeit. Yep. And I'm like, whoa, 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 man. It's not counterfeit. No, they're HP cartridges. They've just been refilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, they're they're, altered. Altered. In that yeah. they've been refilled, but but no, they 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 are, um, you know, they're, they're HP cartridges. They have sure. the letters HP on them. It's just that, you know, someone has cracked it open, um, re-inked and, and put it back in. Put the and and I've personally, I've, I'm very happy. And you you can save a little bit of coin with yeah. getting re- remanufactured, but it breaks their mechanism for estimating the amount of ink left. That's the only bad. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah, interesting. Uh, Brian Monroe in the chat room points out correctly that if you have a multifunction printer you need to use the manufacturer's drivers in order to have all the full scanning uh functionality a lot of times apple's scanning for those things is extremely limited so so it's that that definitely if you've got an mfc printer you almost always are going to want to use the driver direct from the manufacturer so all right uh you want to take us to steph john oh Surprise. Because that's, well, no, shouldn't be surprised. It's what's next. It's on the list. All right. Um, here's what Steph had to say. This is a good one. It's a little geeky, but, you know, that, that's what we do. So, okay. um, Oh, it's not next. It wasn't next on the list. You were right. I skipped from uh, Right. That's from what I was, I was Yes. Yeah, sure. Shocked. It's okay. All right. Well, we'll go to Steph anyway. We're here. Right. So uh, Steph writes and says, somehow I ended up part of a Linksys friends and family review program. I honestly think I just registered for an account to get a firmware update for an old router and they asked if I wanted to join. I received free networking products in exchange for my honest reviews. I'm just a civilian, so this is a pretty cool thing for me. <laughs> when I was offered a free Doxis 3.0 cable modem, I was ready to give it a try and eliminate the need to rent my modem from Comcast for 10 bucks a month. I was trying to be a good reviewer and submitted a picture of the back on the modem so people could see there's only one Ethernet port. I realized that the photo includes the easy, easily visible CM space MAC space address, as well as the serial number. I assume CM is cable modem, and I would say yes. I'm not super paranoid, but I try, to be un, but I try not to be unsafe and not get caught. Awesome. Is there any danger in having this MAC address public, like enough of a threat that I should have the review taken down? I've attached uh, the pixelated photo that I should have submitted. Um, all right. So number one, I got off for fist's sake because the uh, picture that she sent that was sent um, includes the protective film on the device, and and that drives me crazy, man. Well, she's just leaving that that film on there for you, John. If she ever sells you your, your, her cable modem, you you then right. have the the pleasure of removing it. Right. Yes. So what are we talking about here? And, and the thing is, so I want to talk about this technology called the MAC address. So what is a MAC address? And no, M-A, it's not Macintosh. Uh, a MAC address, M-A-C, stands for Media Access Control. And what it is, it's a number that is unique to every network device. Yes, you heard that correctly. Every device on your network will have a MAC address. That is unique to it. Or could be unique to it. Well, it should be unique. Yes. On the same network, it should be unique. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So right. is there a harm for her in this MAC address 
that's unique to her cable modem being exposed to potentially anyone in the world. Right. And that's the question. So, so first off, this value, if you look at it, will be in hexadecimal. And so what it is, is that it's uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So I think it's 12 hex digits. Yep. And that's the MAC address. So one little piece of trivia is that the first three or the first six um, actually identify the manufacturer of something. So that's how, how people keep, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's how you can identify a device. Actually, who makes it is by typing in, uh, there's a few databases, I'll find one. Uh, but you can actually identify the uh, manufacturer of something. So for example, if I type in the MAC address of my Ethernet interface on my computer, um, it'll say, oh yeah, that belongs to Apple because they've reserved those characters. Now the thing is, I would say, and, and the MAC address, so what is the MAC address used for? Well, it, it because it's unique, or it, it should be unique on a network, um, one thing is that at least for cable, Dave, at least with my cable company, I think most of them, is that you can't just hook up a cable modem and have it work. They do what I, I, I would call provisioning, and I had to do this. So when I swapped out you know, a while ago, when I got a Doxis 3 to replace my Doxis 2 cable modem, which in my case, Cablevision provides it, supposedly for free it's included in the price that i pay for my internet access i can't just plug in the modem and have to run i have to call them and they have to do um provisioning now some some actually i think they tried to do a self-provisioning and that when i tried to connect to something it said um hey yeah this is new can i um you know did is this a new device do you want this to be the device that we identify as yours i'm like yeah sure most providers will do that Online, what will happen is you just plug in a new cable modem and try to get on the Internet and it will redirect you to a registration page and you log into your, you know, your Comcast or your Time Warner account or whatever it is. And, and then it says, all right, you want me to provision this modem that you're connected to? Yes. And boom, it, it puts it on your account and you're done. Right. Yeah. Um, I would say that the only potential risk. So the thing is, if if someone knew what they were doing. So if someone sees this MAC address, so, so what I'm saying is this, this MAC address identifies you to your network provider or cable provider or whoever's providing you network services. If someone wanted to be a real jerk face, it's, probably, it's not impossible for someone to duplicate that MAC address, either through software or you know, another cable modem or a piece of hardware. So if somebody wanted to make your life miserable or disrupt your network services or try to impersonate you, they could take this MAC address, duplicate it, and then get on your network and pretend to be you. Okay, well, sort of. Um, that's not entirely correct. I mean, it's true, but but someone would have to have the ability to change the MAC address of a cable right. modem. Correct. Right? So so here's here's where this matters. And that's not trivial because you, you'd have to get a firmware. You, so, you, you can't yeah. mess with the firmware. You're like, typically your cable modem, even if you buy a cable modem router combination mm -hmm. from somebody like Netgear, you don't get your firmware updates from Netgear. You get your firmware I, uh, updates. I understand, but uh, uh, all I'm saying is this. that... Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what I'm saying is somebody that really knows what they're doing and has the utilities that could reprogram the MAC address. Not many people are able to do this. Right. At least not civilians. But. What, where you need to be careful of your MAC address is actually with your router. Right. Because that's the address that gets you your IP address at your at your house. Uh, so it's I, if, if you don't have a router and you just plug one computer into your cable modem, then you need to protect the MAC address of your computer, too. But for most of us, it's it's the router's MAC address that matters most. 
And those can be pretty easily spoofed. In fact, most routers, Apple aside, I think, uh, but most routers have the ability to let you plug in a different MAC address. And the reason they do this is because your cable company will lock in to one MAC address for your router, not for your cable modem. Well, also for your cable modem, but specifically for your router. And if you don't want to lose your IP address, when you get a new router, you put in the MAC address of the old router into the new one. And magically you keep the same IP address and you don't have to reset your cable modem and all of that. So I don't think there's a a harm in the MAC address of your cable modem getting out um, as much as there would be in the harm of the, the MAC address of your router, because somebody if they're on the same provider uh, as you and, and potentially the same circuit, depending on how the provider's DHCP works, they could cause you some grief that way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think the answer is for the cable modem, probably not something to worry about Don't for worry other about devices. It. I would, I'd be careful with it. I, w- I wouldn't give it away nilly willing. That's right. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. It's a it's a good question, and uh, Steph got back to me and said they did remove the uh, protective film from the device. So I'm oh, good. So that's right. So we're we're uh, <laughs> we're good. What have I seen? I've actually seen. Uh, we'll move on here. I actually saw one person, or I've seen these pictures. I don't know if it was it was people messing around or whatever, but they're like, you know, I love my blue dishwasher or my blue washing machine, and it's like, um, you know that that's the uh, protective. That's you know, right. that's protective film I, in your appliance that you haven't removed. It's I really always white. worry about that, like <laughs> on on devices like power supplies. I, I I worry about that protective film. If people leave it on, it's an insulator at some level. And and it could oh, yeah, could. Yeah, yeah. That's that's always my concern because it's plastic. Right. And so it's going to melt. And, you know, if it gets hot. So I, that's why I always make sure I take it off, especially power supplies. So, um. Why don't you take us to Andrew and then uh, and then we'll jump back to Bill before we uh, wrap things up. Okay. Andrew has a good one that I've kind of dealt with. So I thought I'd offer advice. We may get some from our, uh, our listeners. Um, but Andy, Andrew, Andy, he signed it, Andy, says, I listen to your show most weeks and have enjoyed and understood <laughs> most of it for a few years. Awesome. I have one question that has niggled away at me for years now and keep hoping... I will hear this asked by someone. How can I convert old family photos on 35 millimeter slides into digital format? I have hundreds, maybe even thousands of my father's 35 millimeter slides in the loft. And I want to be able to see and save them in the best possible quality while not spending thousands of pounds. Oh, okay. Looks like he's across the pond because he used a little L symbol there. All right. I have bought a cheap slide scanner for approximately 40 pounds, but I don't feel that it's the best option. There must be someone who has cracked this nut already. Any advice gratefully received? And I would say to Andy, I've done this. So here's the suggestion that I would offer. So back in the day, I I actually uh, worked in a group that was focusing on cameras and image processing and stuff like that. And at one point, I needed a uh, high-quality image scanner. Uh, and actually, um, you know, this was on corporate coin, so the sky was the limit as far now. I, I, I was trying to get one that had very good capabilities and uh, for as little money as possible here. And I settled on the Epson Perfection series. Uh, the one that I got they no longer make, I think it was an Epson Perfection 750. Um, but it worked on both Mac and PC. Uh, 
It actually worked with image capture because it was Twain compatible, so it's standards compliant, but it also included an adapter for 35 millimeter slides. Uh, and I think software that would, would handle that. So, um, so I looked around, and the one that I have was, uh, yeah, they no longer make it, but I found a comparable unit, Dave, um, and it's in the same series here, and I think it's the Epson Perfection. Let me paste it. It's the V550 that you, uh, that you came up with. So I found the V550. I looked on the feature list, and it does include a 35-millimeter slide adapter, and it only costs $199 US, so I don't think that'll break the bank. Cool. Um, but that's a feature, to it, and it also offers, uh, so we was talking about quality here. This is the one thing I love about this series of scanners. This is a 6,400 DPI flatbed scanner, dude. Dude, that's oh, like wow. nuts. 6,400 DPI? That's crazy. Well, you need that though, right? Because because the slides are so small, you know they're they're what an an inch across, right? So you know if it was only three hundred DPI, your entire picture would be three hundred dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. Yeah, yeah. So it has sixty four hundred DPI optical resolution here. Wow. The um. No, it doesn't offer a feeder or anything. That's the only thing. And you know that uh, I actually actually was one of our. Uh, uh, one of our writers, I think, actually asked me this question, and I didn't have a good answer. He wanted to take photographs and scan them in, and he insisted on being able to scan them in at 1,200 DPI, but have a scanner that has a feeder as well. Dude, I looked far and wide, and I could not find a scanner that would offer anything beyond 600 DPI with a feeder. Uh, the thing is, a lot of scanners, like this one, this does 6,400 DPI, but it doesn't have a feeder. Right. Or at least not right. one that I'm aware of. Maybe you can get one. I wonder um, why, it, why it would matter. I mean, it's just putting paper on glass and then taking it away. Why, why would a feeder... Well, I, if, you, if you have lots of photos, I, I would think you'd want to put them in a feeder. So no, no, no. But I'm saying, quickly. why would the feeder limit... Maybe I'm missing something, uh, and so I'm not asking this question rhetorically, but why would having a feeder limit the scanner's ability to scan in the the ones that i saw and all the ones that i researched the feeder has a separate imaging element the imaging that's being used oh. by the flatbed is different from the imager that captures what goes through the feeder and as far as i huh. could tell that's not um, true i i have an hp multifunction thing and it, it it's got a flatbed and it's also got a feeder and what it does is it takes the the light and the element and moves it all the way down. So, yeah, so it's moving the paper across the feeder as opposed to the feeder across or moving the paper across the 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 scanning element as opposed to the scanning element across the, the paper. And perhaps for the higher DPI stuff, it needs to go um either more slowly or it needs to do a second pass, which it can't do. So yeah, maybe, maybe right. the, um, yeah, maybe that's why the feeder. And, yeah, and yeah. I found, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like you, uh, I, I actually found a couple of HPs. They weren't entirely clear on whether they use the same imager for the flatbed and the feeder in that, as you're saying, yeah. the feeder kind of gives it to the flatbed portion and then pulls it away when right. it's done. Right. And then it's done. It looked yeah, to exactly. me that most, of the scanners that I found the image capture element was separate for the feeder and for the flatbed. Yeah. Um, and that, that I would look at the specs and they'd be like, yeah, the flatbed part is this high DPI and the feeder 
part is it may not be separate it's just it can't move as as my you know it can't move as as um exactly to get that higher dpi when it's going through the feeder Uh, i bet that's what it is i bet it's because it'd be silly to build a scanner with two elements nobody would do that um economically but yeah 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 i I remember this um when I had this scanner, I mean, I was having a ball. I mean, being able to scan at that high a DPI, you can see a lot of things in documents. Mm. Um, for example, driver's licenses. I was doing this. Yeah. Um, at least at one point, the state of Connecticut would actually include a kind of interesting um, uh, technology that you couldn't see with the naked eye, and you actually needed to use uh, what I'll call a diffraction grading yep. in order to see it. But if you had a high enough DPI scanner and you scanned it and zoomed in, you could be like, oh, look, there's a slight little huh. weirdness in the way the image is composed. And also it's fun for scanning money, which actually a lot of scanners will refuse to do. Yes, I believe. <laughs> I, I, well, scanning driver's licenses is probably quite legal. Um, scanning money is almost certainly illegal. So, yeah. Um, the law that I saw on it was scanning it isn't necessarily illegal, but if you reproduce it, you have to reproduce it at either a certain size percentage larger or oh. a certain percentage smaller to make it, it clear that it is not. It can't real be the currency. same size. Oh, interesting. Yeah, doing it at the same size, that'll get you in trouble. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. But even you'd have to be a dum dum to do that because yeah, you, you don't know, have money the right, is, you can't get the right paper. Right. That yeah. that's it. The the yeah. the security with our money currently is is that you, you can't get that paper. That's not no. easily available. No. And if you try to print money on regular <laughs> regular, you know, <laughs> ten pound paper card stock, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna look uh, yeah, and any any yeah. decent cashier would be able to be like, what, any, Are you kidding me? Yeah, right. Yeah. Let's let's try that again. All right, let's um let's go let's wrap up with Bill because this is probably a good one uh for 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 many of us. Bill uh writes he said uh is there anything I could read meaning an article any help that you can give me uh about how to figure out how to get my digital music files all in iTunes to play on my stereo. Um and his stereo is a mishmash of components. He's got a Rotel amp, uh, B&W speakers, all traditional kind of old school, pre-digital stuff. Um, and his stereo is in another room from the computer. So this would have to be wireless. Uh, you can't just plug it in wired. So if you could do it wired, you could just go out of your Mac's headphone jack and go headphone jack to RCA jack and plug that in. It's not going to sound the best. The, the, um, the digital to analog converter, the DAC, we will call it inside your Mac is not the greatest. It's a, it's got a little bit of noise to it. It's not the cleanest, but it, that would certainly work. If you could get a cable that you were either in the same room or if, if you could run a cable through the wall, you could do that. Um, If you are in a scenario where you can do that and that's what you want to do, I highly recommend getting a more capable DAC and the audio engine D one blew me away. It really, really is. um, It's just outstanding. I think it's the D one that I have. I got to make sure now that I'm, I'm looking at this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the D one. Sounds fantastic. I, I mean, it really blew me away. It's 169 bucks. So, uh, I'll put that in the uh, in the show notes just so that it's there for anyone that's that's looking to do this. 
it, you can even um, you can, you know, plug this into your computer and just use it with local speakers on your computer, which is what I do down in the office with this. But certainly very capable to do with your stereo. And um, and it's got RCA jacks on the back. So you don't even need to get the um, the, you know, a converter. You just straight RCA into speakers if that's what you want to do. So that's for that. But if you have to go wireless, there are a couple of options. Um, while we're on the audio engine uh, front, they do have their D2 wireless DAC. And they also have the, the, the B1, um, which is their Bluetooth DAC. And many people have Bluetooth um, converters where you just, you know, you plug a Bluetooth element into your stereo and your, your Mac streams to it. The problem with Bluetooth is uh, the audio is going to be compressed over that signal. Bluetooth cannot send lossless quality audio. Your Mac will support a Bluetooth codec called aptX, A-P-T-X, that sounds much better than I think SDC is the other one or SBC. I can't remember. Uh, but uh, and it sounds good, but you you probably you may or may not be happy if you're an audiophile. You may not be happy with with Bluetooth sound, so I'm not going to recommend it. Um, Audio Engine does have their D2, uh, which is a wireless DAC that that is lossless. Um, it's not doing um, it's not doing you know the Bluetooth conversion, but uh, it's 399 bucks. So while you'll get a great quality DAC with that, it's it's not cheap. It may be the option you want, and obviously nothing wrong with it. But uh, AirPlay is there for the taking, and your Mac already supports it over your existing wireless network. Um, unfortunately, your receiver doesn't, but some newer receivers slash amplifiers do, and it's worth checking if yours does, because, uh, folks, if you've got that, then you can send directly to it and it's just an airplay receiver and it'll show up. In fact, you probably already see it if you've connected your uh, receiver to your network, either with ethernet or, or Wi-Fi. If you don't have that though, uh, it's about 30 bucks to get you uh, an Amazon. Well, not Amazon, but it's uh, from a company called Sabrent. And I've got to find this now because for some reason, my PDF won't, uh, won't send it to me, but I found a, a thing on Amazon for 30 bucks. The Sabrent Wi-Fi audio receiver, uh, fairly well-reviewed, and it does exactly this. You, uh, you, it, it will take AirPlay into it, and you can play out. It's, again, probably not the best DAC in there, but, uh, but it's worth checking out. And for 30 bucks, um, maybe that's the answer. So, um so there's there's all kinds of uh, of options for you. And it looks like Mac Gopher in the room is also recommending the AudioQuest Dragonfly. This is something I've never heard about, but maybe I should. Oh, look at that. Yeah, yeah. It's a USB-based DAC similar to one of the Audio Engine ones. I don't I can't see what the price is, but, uh, but we will put this in the room as well. So. Very, very cool stuff. Thank you, Mac Gopher. So, uh, AirPlay can be your friend, but if you want even higher quality uh, in terms of the, the quality of the DAC, and, and I, I will say this, 
uh, as crazy as it sounds, and maybe it's not crazy if you're an audiophile, but the quality of the, the, the device that's doing your digital to analog conversion can make a huge difference. I was blown away when I plugged in that, um, that audio engine, the, uh, the D1 in my, uh, in my office. I mean, it just, it, same speakers used to be plugged into my Mac directly. I plugged it into the D1 and it like sound got wider. Sound had more depth. It just, it, I, I didn't, I really didn't think that it wouldn't be that noticeable immediately, but it is. So you may want to spend more than 30 bucks on this and you may want to go, um, with, you know, something like the D2 or with the, um, oh, sorry, the, is it the D2? Yeah. The D2 or, uh, or this dragonfly, which I don't know anything about, but, uh, but comes highly recommended for Mac Gopher in the uh, chat room. He says there's two models starting at 149. So there you go. Any, uh, I know you're, uh, you mo mainly do airplay, John, any thoughts on this, John, before we, uh, before we move, move and, and nope, that's move onward? My speaker gigs are airport to audio engine speakers. And then the, uh, the, uh, Denon Heos are the two things. Right, right, right. Yeah. And sometimes I'll, I'll beam stuff to my, uh, Apple TV. Oh yeah. Receiver in my living room. You know, and that's the other, that's the other option is if you've got an Apple TV in your living room, uh, you can, you can do that. Right. And, and that would work fine for you, Bill. So if you're considering getting an Apple TV, then, then I would start there because you can beam audio to that and then have that play via your speakers. Cause it's going to be hooked up to your, um, to your receiver anyway. So yeah, that's, that's great advice. Yeah. I didn't realize that. When I first um, got the Apple TV, and I think I ran iTunes, and it showed uh, AirPlay destinations, and it was like Apple TV, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. That makes sense. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, it'll show up right there in iTunes. Yeah, the AirPlay thing makes it easy uh, to have iTunes pointing to one set of speakers and everything else pointing to another. And that, you know, so you're not hearing your alert sounds coming out of your stereo. And in that case, it's sending the audio through HDMI, at least in my case. So right. you don't yeah. lose. Yeah. Well, I guess the limitation there is the DAC, like you said, the DAC in the device. You know, yes. how, how good is the DAC in the uh, Apple TV? Right. I don't know. It's good enough for me. Yeah, people in the in the room, Alex in the room is saying that the Apple TV's DAC is uh, 48K, not 44.1 is what it outputs. So it is doing some sample rate conversion. Uh, whether or not that's, you know, important to you. Um, and it, it will make a difference because it is doing some conversion in there. So there you go. Um, yeah. Uh, airfoil might be your your magic answer, by the way, if you do wind up using non-airplay um, speakers, because you can use it on your Mac. Uh, I believe airfoil is the thing, right? You can use air airfoil to, to grab iTunes sound and send it to a different place so that you're not sending your alert sounds out. I, I'm 99% certain that that's, um, that's one of the features of airfoil. So I'm going to put it in the list and hopefully I didn't get it wrong. Any other thoughts, John, before we uh, before we blast off here? Absolutely, Dave. And my thought is feedback at MackieGab.com is where you want to write us with questions, tips, suggestions, um, whiny gripes, sniveling complaints. No. <laughs> Did you say feedback at MackieGab.com? I absolutely said 
feedback at MacGeekGab.com. But there's more. But wait, there's less. What what more is there, John? Oh, well, there's premium at MacGeekGab.com. Premium at MacGeekGab.com. But only if you're a premium subscriber. And uh, premium subscribers, in addition to getting that warm, fuzzy feeling that supports your two favorite geeks, you also get priority when you send in your emails if you use that premium address and we had actually quite a few premium listeners today uh, add todd scott with the audiobook sinking madness lee with his audio comment about thinking outside the box and steph prompting us to talk about cable modems and mac addresses so thank you to all of you for being premium subscribers we really really appreciate it thanks to everybody in the chat room too uh you folks are awesome really really fantastic at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. You help keep us going. You help provide some awesome additions to the show in real time. And uh, that helps everybody, including everybody that can't be here in the chat room. So uh, excellent stuff. I want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. I want to thank the uh, folks in our podcast marketplace. Of course, our sponsors for today's show, Smiles Text Expander at SmileSoftware.com slash geek. Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. Gazelle, as we mentioned, at gazelle.com. You can lock in your prices now and make it really easy. Fat Cat Software with Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. And Barebones Software at barebones.com. Have a great week for those of you uh, in the U.S. Uh, enjoy your holiday weekend. And, uh, well, have fun, but don't get caught. Made up.